I think some of the advice that I would say is that you just have to start somewhere. I think uh, a lot of, I, I meet so many people that don't know where to start or don't know how to start. And uh, I just tell them to start somewhere. Wow, what an awesome Wednesday. I'm so excited uh, to welcome our guest today, DC Crenshaw. DC is an old friend uh, from my days in Chicago. We were just chuckling about the year I actually met him. It was the year Michigan Avenue Magazine recognized him and his amazing wife, Elena, as one of the six most amazingly dressed humans on the planet. And it was just an incredible year. And uh, so many good memories with DC supporting the Chicago community. But DC is a publisher, Emmy-nominated executive producer, food and lifestyle entrepreneur, and just one of the most incredible humans uh, that Samantha and I have been around in the last 10 years, a special man with an incredibly amazing story and uh, one of the greatest families standing behind him. DC, welcome to Vision Hustle Grit and Gratitude today. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate being here, man. Great to see you. Great to see you too, DC. So, so look, obviously, you know, I try to do a little bit of my homework and it's been, it's been a minute since we've been together, but the one thing that kept popping up that uh, just really struck a chord with Samantha and I some time back is when you kicked off the little diners crew. Can we, can we start off today by you telling us that story, where that vision came from and exactly what it is and how people can get involved? Absolutely, man. So, you know, when I first moved to Chicago about 20 years ago, I created this dining club uh, for adults and it was called FET, a progressive dining experience. And it was really introducing people to the newest restaurants that open and restaurants to the, you know, foodies. And this was before there was a food network or any type of food centric things out there. And so, uh, <clears throat> so food has always been a passion of mine and finding great food and restaurants and stuff like that. So when Elena and I got married and we ended up having kids, you know, Elena has a great passion for dining like I do. And so we would go out to these different restaurants and our kids really ate what we eat. And so we introduced them to these foods. Um, but then we go to these restaurants and on the kids menu, there would be mac and cheese and chicken fingers. And <clears throat> so we would, you know, you're in a great restaurant, but the kids menu is the typical chicken fingers, mac and cheese, pizza, that type of thing, butter noodles. And so, uh, and then we used to always have parents that asked us how we got our kids to eat different types of food. And, um, and they were complimenting my boys on eating sushi and Indian food and other things that they saw on their plate. Uh, so, you know, Elena and I was thinking, I was like, you know, there's a, we have to do something about this. Restaurants have to do better at providing better food for the kids. But, you know, we have to show parents how to get their kids to to eat, uh, you know, expose them to different foods. And so that's how we came up with Little Diners Crew. And the whole concept was to expand kids' palates beyond mac and cheese and chicken fingers. And we host these unique dining events at different restaurants each month. Each month, we actually choose a country we're going to visit. And then we find a restaurant that serves that cuisine. And we partner with the restaurant and the chef to actually create a tasting menu of four to six dishes that allows kids to actually, that the dishes are approachable, but yet adventurous. But um, 
you know, it allows them to actually have this unique dining experience. And when they learn about the dishes, how, how, how they're made, where ingredients come from, they meet the chef, they rate each dish uh, after they taste it. Uh, so they, we empower them to take control of their dining experience. And uh, the members uh, receive a passport that gets stamped with the restaurant that they visited and the country we visited. So they get a chance to document their culinary journey with Little Diners Crew. And they eat at their own table. So parents come, they sit at their own table and the kids sit at their own table and we toast with a mocktail to get it off, kick off the experience. We talk about etiquette dining etiquette, and then we have that unique experience. <laughs> so that's incredible. And, you know, Samantha and I felt very strongly that since Ava and Atlas, when they were born, and, and they're right around uh, the ages of True and Cruise, right? They're yeah. 12 and 11. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've been taking them to all the restaurants in Chicago and Detroit, right? We just, we go in a little bit earlier. We say, hey, we have two young ones with us, but they look at the adult menu. And they order from it. So I think that's where we got super excited when we saw you and Elena doing that. Now tell me, is this, is this open to the public? Can people become members? Can they get signed up for this? What does that look like? Absolutely. So in Chicago, we're just based in Chicago now with the hopes of expanding to other markets. And we've gotten a lot of people that want us to expand to their markets. And prior to COVID, we were going to expand to LA. Detroit. (laughs) Detroit. Yeah, exactly. But yes, it's open to the public. Uh, you can you don't have to be a member to attend any event, but if you are a member, there's certain perks that apply with that, such as discount fees to events. You get a, a membership packet, and you get to earn crew loyalty points towards uh, other events. Um, but uh, if you uh, want to come to an event, we post those events on our website. We post them on social media. People can go to our website and register. Uh, they have the date of the event, the restaurant, the menu, and uh, has everything about what's, you know, about the menu and the chef and the restaurant there. <clears throat> and people um, show up as members or non-members and they enjoy the experience. Um, and, uh, you know, it's really cool. You know, your kids <clears throat> are like my kids. They like to eat and try different foods. Yes. But, you know, we had parents that say, well, my kids won't eat anything. That's the whole reason why we started a little diners crew. <laughs> Um, and we've seen so many kids that have come that are picky eaters and uh, and they sit down and they dine with other kids and they're more likely to try new food because other kids are trying it around them. So it's like a reverse peer pressure. And um, and so, uh, you know, we've had parents that were just shocked that their child was trying, you know, Clam, uh, calamari or, you know, some type of fish or things that they have never tried before. And, you know, the rating system is works too, because kids, we, we, we always say, you don't have to like anything, but we, you want, we want you to try everything. And so uh, it's made a big difference, especially if they've been uh, to an event two or three times, they know exactly what to expect uh, when they arrive. So it's really been, it's really cool to see the transition of, of a picky eater into a little foodie. That's, that's so awesome. And I'm really glad that you're doing that. I could see there's so much value to the different communities and families who have the opportunity to participate in that. And I just think of like, hey, flowers in the attic, right? No sunshine, no oxygen. Well, what do you expect to happen to the flowers, right? You put them by a window and it's a completely different story. Uh, that's so powerful. So I, I want to take you back um, 
to something I typically do when I kick off the call, but I was so excited about Little, little yeah. Diners Crew, I forgot yeah. to even ask you. Okay. So on my voicemail, as you and everyone else knows, I ask three questions. If you leave a message, you've got to tell me your favorite color, your favorite afternoon snack, and your favorite superhero. So let's go back and pretend we started over. Favorite color, DC? I always have to say orange because I, I grew up uh, in a town where high school football was huge and uh, our colors were orange and black. And then I played football at Bowling Green and our colors were orange and brown. So I say orange is my favorite color. Awesome. Favorite afternoon snack? Wow. Favorite afternoon snack. Um, you know, I would have to go with one of those new keto bars that I've been uh, <laughs> I've been snacking on. <laughs> Yeah. It's, You're a it's, food critic. Keto boy. You know, but I, I also trying to trying to lose weight, man, from this COVID-19 stuff. You know, I've been packing on the COVID pounds. So uh, trying to get back silly. into fighting shape. <laughs> You're silly. Favorite superhero. Wow, favorite superhero. Uh man. <laughs> I'm gonna have people go back and look at this. You're gonna look this up. If you ever watched the Fat Albert uh, cartoon series back in the day. Come on, man. Remember, of course. Remember the Brown Hornet? The Brown Hornet! Yeah, go, go check out the Brown Hornet. <laughs> the reason why I say that, because some of my buddies back in the day used to call me Brown Hornet. So I, uh, I, I might be able to do a hundred more episodes and never have any one of our friends say that same superhero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I so, love it. I love it. Well, let, let's go back while we're here then. Let's let's stay on your childhood for a minute. Okay. Tell us tell us the story. DC, born, grew up, favorite passion as a child. What did you dream of becoming? Yeah, so I like I said, I grew up in a blue collar town in Ohio called Maslin, mm. Ohio. And uh, you know, if you know anything about Northeast Ohio, it's a huge high school football yes. area, just like you know, any in, in, in Texas or or um, Georgia or Florida. And, um, you know, our high school was known as one of the top high school programs in the country. So I grew up um, wanting to be a football player, uh, not only high school, but a college and a professional football player. Um, so, you know, as, as a lot of kids uh, in my town, we grew up uh, idolizing or watching a lot of the athletes. And, um, but what was different, I think, about me was that I also had respect for a lot of the guys in high school that were not only good athletically, but academically. And so, um, and uh, you know, I did pretty well in, in school. And I think there was a, a high expectation from not, uh, not only for me, but from my family and teachers that I would uh, excel in uh, athletics and uh, academics. Um, and so, uh, you know, as a kid, uh, you know, I wanted to be a professional football player. Uh, you know, I, I knew nothing about what I wanted to do business-wise, but, you know, I, but I also wanted to, uh, you know, do well academically and just, um, you know, go to college. And so that, that's what I was focused on. I think even when I was in elementary school, that's as I knew I, what, I, what I wanted to do. That's awesome. And so tell us a little bit about the uh, story of playing. I mean, take us through your years at Bowling Green. I mean, incredible program. Uh, no surprise coming out of Northeast Ohio that that was, you know, maybe one of the, the shining schools that you looked at and considered you went there and then what happened? Yeah. So I went to, to BG. I played linebacker there. I was a four year, uh, a four years letter winner, three year starter. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I did pretty well with all conference my, my senior year. Um, studied uh, biology pre-med. Uh, I went in as a physical therapy major. Um, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I had to change my major because uh, to go to physical therapy school, I would have had to leave Bowling Green and go to uh, a, a medical college of Ohio in Toledo, which I couldn't do because I played football. Okay. So uh, my academic advisor said, you should be a doctor. And so I said, okay, I'll be a doctor. <laughs> and uh, so I was a biology pre-med major. I, I really didn't want to go to medical school. So after, um, after college, actually, I, I played arena football. Um, I was hoping to get into uh, the NFL as, as a, a free agent, but I had to play arena football uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And then the following year, I had a trial with the Detroit Lions. It was more of like a, 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 a mini camp that I had, a, I got invited to, but I didn't get signed. And so I started my career um, in uh, the pharmaceutical industry after selling copiers for, you know, four months and tread, you know, paying my dues and, and outside sales. And so yeah. I got into the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, I think I was like 25 or something like that. And, um, and then, uh, you know, my career took off that way. What's one of the, uh, um, and look, congratulations, right? I mean, we, we get so caught up in, in, and here's the thing. I mean, I think, uh, I think we can get spoiled sometimes by the friends and the company we keep. And, and when we, we are surrounded by other really great humans that are successful, especially that have played professional sports, you kind of think like, oh man, you know, that, that kind of sucks. Or, you know, I wish I could have done better or whatever. Uh, I'm not passing on my insecurities and regrets to you, but I, I think of like how many young men were playing the year you graduated and couldn't even play arena football. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, can't yeah. even get invited to mini camp. Right. I mean, and, and I think, I think that's like a, a special story. And I, I can imagine uh, from watching true and Cruz grow up uh, via social media, uh, they seem to be just little powerhouse competitors themselves. Tell me what you think your path in life around sports has been passed down to them. Well, I can tell you that, you know, um, th they really want to be like daddy. You know, they, they want to play football like daddy. They want to play sports like daddy and, and mommy. Mommy played sports too. Mommy excelled at um, uh, field hockey in, uh, in high school when she ran track and she was a hooper, so I think she won. Uh, she won their dunk contest when she was in, <laughs> in high school. Yeah, it, it, it won the ten for a rim, but you know, uh, but uh, so, but um, you know, what uh, they're both playing sports. They, they want to play everything, which is great. And so, what I pass on to them is what it takes to be the best, um, as far as dedication, commitment, hard work. Um, and, um, you know, I, I always tell them, I, I always tell stories about what I did. I don't brag. Sometimes I brag, but, but, you know, you're always, you're always much better than what you were as you get older. Right. <laughs> and so, but, um, uh. but I, I, I try to, uh, give them examples and stories of my successes and my failures as it relates to sports and, uh, and try to relate that in a way to what they're doing right now, not only in athletics, but in, uh, in academics as well. And so I always, uh, uh, you know, try to 
you know, teach them that if you want to be the best, you're going to have to work harder than anyone else. You're going to have to be committed. You're going to have to take coaching and, um, you know, you just have to do the things that, <clears throat> that a lot of people don't want to do. And I think for the most part, they've, uh, they've taken that on. And I try not to <clears throat> push them too hard because I want them to have the passion themselves to actually push themselves. And, uh, and they've done that. I, uh, I remember a couple, not this past summer, but a couple summers ago, right after they got out of uh, school for, for the summer break, um, I said, well, we're going to train for football. <coughs> Excuse me. I said, we're going to train for football. And if you guys want to, I'll put you through a three-day workout every week. We'll do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. We'll get up at 6 a.m. We'll go across the street, and we'll do our workout. And uh, so literally the first day after the uh, summer break, they both woke up woke me up at like six o'clock in the morning and said, dad, let's go. We're ready. And, and, and we did that workout, you know, for three days a week, we were training and stuff like that. So that showed me that they were committed. Now, once they were out there and sometimes they didn't want to be out there, I was like, no, no, you're not going to stop. You said you wanted to do it. So it's my job to keep you, you know, to keep you out here and keep you doing it. But, but I think that was um, a lesson that they learned, but they also showed me, that they were committed and they want to do it. And that, you know, and that's, that's all I want to see. Yeah. I mean, such a good story. Right. And I think it, um, you know, the, it, there's a, 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 a kind of uh, subconscious uh, value in there of, Hey, honor your commitments. Mm -hmm. You know, if you said you would now honor that commitment and what a great uh, uh, mindset and, and characteristic and value for them to appreciate and, and learn about at such a young age. Yeah, um, you know, think about it, right? Even in like our, our careers in sales, um, how many times do you do better than others simply because you do what you said you would do? And 90% of people don't. Oh my gosh, Manuel, let me tell you something. I, I tell people this all the time. 97% of people don't do what they say they're going to do. And what, what in business, when I, when I mean, it's amazing. <clears throat> and um, people just don't follow through. They don't show up. And so, I mean, I, I, I can say that I, if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. If I can't do it, I'm going to let you know I can't do it. I'm going to explain why. But 97% um, of people that I meet just don't do what they say they're going to do. Or if they, they do it half-ass, you know. And so... Um, you know, I mean, you're exactly right. There's, you know, if, if uh, in, in sales and business, you know, um, if, and, and I guess, you know, maybe my sports background has helped me, but you do it and you do it as best as you can or better than, than you can. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, but you show up and, and, and part of the, part of the battle is just really, is just showing up and, uh, and being there. Yeah, I love that. I mean, great way to break that down. And and look, I was uh, I was being generous about saying ninety percent. You were probably more accurate in saying ninety seven percent of people don't. Yeah. Tell me about uh, Fet Lifestyle Magazine and the reason that conversation makes me think about it 
is because I think about like how hard it is to get into that business. I mean, to get into publishing and becoming the editor-in-chief of your own magazine, uh, you know, in the next chapter of your life after sports. Um, tell me about where the vision for Fet Lifestyle Magazine came from. Tell me what people can find in it. And who, who's like your ideal reader? Great question. So years ago, when I first uh, started my business, FET, um, F-E-T-E, like I said, I started as a dining club uh, back in uh, 2000. And then I created this newsletter that would send out a weekly newsletter every week about what's happening in the city, restaurants and stuff like that. And that's before a lot of people started having newsletters. Right. And so down the road, it, it just became another loose newsletter because everybody had a newsletter. It became stagnant. It, was, it didn't add any value to what I was doing. And so I said, I got to do something different. And so I came up with creating a digital lifestyle magazine. And I wanted to feature all women contributors because I, th I thought that there are a lot of women out there that had something to say and maybe didn't have a platform to say it. They're not, they have saw a lot of them weren't journalists, they weren't bloggers, um, but they had a passion for something. Yes. And, uh, and so I, uh, I reached out uh, to a couple of my journalist friends to start out with from around the country. And then they uh, in turn introduced me to uh, some of their friends. And then uh, people started reading and then it just kind of, um, then we got more and more contributors from around the world to actually contribute to the magazine. But it started out just as a, um, you know, a, a lifestyle magazine that would provide content around food, fashion, beauty, health. Um, and then it's kind of morphed into a lot more than that. Uh, we have uh, uh, fabulous contributors that, that, that talk about um, women empowerment, about um, your, things for your mind, body, and soul. And we have, you know, uh, we have a lot of fabulous contributors that that contribute content every month that resonates with our readers um and so you know we're on our 74th issue congratulations um yeah this month uh we featured meredith marks who is um one of the breakout stars from the real housewives of salt lake city mm. and she actually is a friend of mine from chicago um and uh but she's she's i i wanted to feature her because she's a businesswoman uh, she's a, a mom, she's a wife, uh, and she's real, she's authentic. And I think a lot of women uh, see her on the on that show and it's a refreshing breath of air because she doesn't like to get into the drama that some of these reality shows uh, have. And so, um, but uh, you know, our, our reader is, uh, we probably have about 55% women, 45% men that, that read the, uh, the, the, the issue. Um, but it's really anyone that uh, wants to uh, in, enjoy reading anything about um, any things that enhance their lifestyle, um, whether it's uh, financial. Uh, we, you know, we have um, uh, someone that uh, contributes. He's a, um, he's a male. He he actually advertises, but he he writes a an article every month about uh, your financial lifestyle. Mm. Um, we have a, a doctor. Um, Dr. Montgomery, and she's, uh, Dr. Erica Montgomery, she's a friend, but she also does a lot about talking about um, your mental health. 
And so there's a lot of information in each issue that uh, helps both men and women as it relates to your personal lifestyle. And so that's the type of reader, you know, our, our age ranges from 25 to 65 as far as readers and, and we read over 40 different countries around the world. Wow. Mm -hmm. So tell, tell us, when did the vision for this magazine come to you? And who, who else was on your team at that time? Who else was in your corner saying, we got to do this. We have to do this. So um, the, the vision came about six years ago, uh, actually a, a little over six years ago, because this is our sixth year doing it. So I like to think about things before I actually execute them. And uh, the, the person that was in my corner was me. <laughs> so I was, the one, I was the one that came up with it and the one that, that, that executed. Now, um, I do have, uh, it's a two-person team. It's my editor, Michelle uh, Lomax, who actually lives in San Francisco. She's an attorney, but she's, um, she's, she's an aspiring woman herself because she kind of left the corporate world of, of being a, a, a lawyer and she's a yogi and she does meditation and he, uh, she travels around the country and, um, you know, she lives, she's living her, her best life, but she helps me edit the, the magazine on a monthly basis. She, but oh, I actually, right. lay out, yeah, I actually lay out the, each issue I've laid out every issue since it's, it's inception. So it's a lot of work, but you know, it's, uh, it's been, been paying up, been paying off. So, so the rumor is, and, and, uh, you know, I, I hope you're okay with that. I didn't tell you that I was going to mention this, but the rumor is Elena is actually the one with all the, the, the eye for fashion and, and things that look amazing. And oftentimes we would chuckle because we'd see you at events. And I'd always tell Samantha, I'm like, you see what he's wearing? I'm like, why does he look so good? I'm wearing, I'm always in a blue suit, and white shirt. Is that, is that true? Is that well, from I, Elena? Well, you know, uh, uh, the, so the Elena tell you the story and, and, um, <laughs> and a lot of my friends will tell you the story too. So when I first met Elena, I think the, the most expensive pair of jeans I ever bought was like 30 bucks. Right. And, <laughs> yes. uh, and, you know, I was like, I mean, you know, I was always in a fashion, but it's true that my, my fashion game stepped up after I met Elena. I mean, she's been in that world for forever. You know, she went to fashion school in LA, um, oh. You know, and she's been um, in the uh, high-end retail uh, sector for many, many years. I actually met her when she was the uh, general manager at, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking right now, but at a high-end men's clothing store in, in Las Vegas. So I walked, <laughs> into her, I walked into her store and that's how we met. But uh, yeah, and so, you know, she's definitely is more fashionable than I am. But you know, I I got an eye for fashion. So I, I mean, yesterday <laughs> I was I had, I had to go to this event. Um, you know, it was the first time I've been out uh, to an event, small event, a book release party for somebody, and I was wearing something. And she looked at me. She was like, "That doesn't look right." <laughs> so, of course, I had to go change. Then I put something else on. She goes, "No, that doesn't look right." And she was like, "You just either wear the shirt." by itself or, you know, wear something else. And so I ended up wearing the shirt by itself with a, with a blazer. And so, uh, yeah, she keeps me in check. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. God bless her. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let, let me pivot because 
Um, so I think most people do know you for Fet Lifestyle Magazine, at least especially in the circles that we ran that overlap in the city of Chicago and the Midwest in general. But I mean, you've been on TV. I mean, you've got Game Time Dine. Uh, you were on like a, a, a guy's grocery game show. Um, you, I mean, you've done a number of things on air. Tell me where, like, when did you say, hey, I, I'm not afraid of the camera. So many people are so intimidated by being in front of a camera. Um, tell me, wh when did you say, hey, I'm good being in front of the camera. I want to share my passions in life, which are around very much around lifestyle. And then when did you start Game Time Dine, which I personally enjoy? Thank you. Yeah. So <clears throat> in, in, uh, I, when I was, um, I was in the pharmaceutical medical device industry in 2008, and uh, Elena was pregnant with our first son, True, and I got laid off from my job. And, uh, and it was during this time in this layoff that a friend of mine named Bill Rancic, I don't know if you know Bill Rancic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he had a, he was, uh, uh, he had a show, uh, that aired nationally, in, uh, but it was, it was taped here in Chicago. And, um, and, uh, I was yeah, a newlywed and uh, a specter father. And he was doing this, um, uh, this segment on his show and it was called something like guide talk or something like that. And so he asked me to be on this, on the, on the panel. And so it was me and three other guys that were on the panel and, uh, and it was, it was fun and I, and I enjoyed it. Um, and so I kind of, you know, was like, you know, I would love to do more of this TV stuff, but you know, no one's going to hire me. I don't have any TV background and you know, it, it's, I don't, you don't come from that world. So who in the hell is going to say, Oh, I want you to be on my show unless it's a friend. So I created it. You know, if, if you're not going to invite me on your show, I create my own show. <laughs> and so, um, but what happened with Game Time Dying, you know, I was, uh, I got laid off and I, I couldn't find a job for a year. And I was focusing on my passion, which was food at that time. And, um, and so, you know, I was basically doing these video uh, blogs, which was introducing people to the newest restaurants via three minute video. Um, and so NBC local saw what I was doing and they asked me to do some co contributions for them on the online. And I started doing that. But then I had uh, someone that was repping some uh, athletes from the Chicago bears. And they asked if I can do a segment on these guys on my online show. And, uh, but then one morning I was working out and I just had an epiphany of game time dying. And so I caught up, I caught up the PR person and I said, Hey, Daphne, I said, what do you think about this concept with your guys? And she was like, Oh, I love it. So she ended up pitching it to Israel Donajay from the Chicago bears. <laughs> yeah. And he loved the concept. And then a friend of mine, her name is Jen, who was working at Comcast Sportsnet at the time. She saw uh, the idea. She loved it. And she was like, let me pitch it to, to uh, our, our network. And they loved it. And so that's how Game Time Dying came to fruition. And we created a, uh, a, um, a sizzle reel from that. And I had to hire a production team with no money. And so literally we shot season one with no money as a promise to pay these guys in season two if we got sponsorship. And uh, so we shot 10 episodes in season one. Uh, and then we, uh, that was in 2009. Then we uh, ended up 
taking the I ended up taking the show and getting sponsors from uh, Pepsi and from Mini Cooper, and they actually paid for season two. So I was able to pay the production crew, and um, and we ended up getting Emmy nominated two times for that. Uh, That's for that right. Season. And uh, and then things kind of took off from there. And Food Network called and uh, asked me to be on the Guys Grocery Games as a judge, and I was on the Cooking Channel on a show there. And you know, and so ever since then, I would get uh, opportunities to be on TV. And um, but you know, we're trying to take season season three of Game Time down. We're trying to get it on a on a major uh, streaming platform. And so I'm and and uh, right now I'm talking with with some folks and trying to make that happen. That's awesome. Congratulations. I mean, it's uh, you know, we we keep talking about all these things that you touch and you kind of say, hey, like no one else is doing it. Why not me? Tell me about something you pursued that didn't win. Oh wow! Um, pursued that I did that didn't win. Wow, there's so many things. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Think. <laughs> um, give me, give me a good PG version of one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, you want that version? I got you. Um, well, I mean. Uh, uh, I mean, I've, I've, uh, so, so, you know, let, let me, I, I, I'll tell you something. Uh, I, I'll tell you this great story. Uh, my cousin and I, back in the day, when uh, we were 25, 26, we were fresh out of college. He played professional football too. Um, and he played at Youngstown State College, but he played professional. Um, but we were both able to get scholarships to college. And, uh, and so we actually, came up with this concept of starting a football combine for high school, uh, high school students, high school athletes in Ohio. It was called the wonderful 100. And it was taking the oh. top 100 juniors or seniors to be and, and doing a combine. Uh, and if folks don't know what a football combine is, that's when you invite all the top, top athletes um, college athletes uh, to a one location and they work out for the pro scouts and the pro scouts time them and, and record all their data and all that stuff. So we wanted to do that for the uh, high school kids. And so this was like in 19, what, 92, 92, I'm sorry, 1993, 93, 94, something like that. So we, we, we tested the concept in Columbus, Ohio, the first year. And um, we got all the top seniors to be from Central Ohio to come to Grove City College. And we got some oh. of our boys from college that have come up and help do, do the testing with us and record. And it went over really well. The second year we did it, we got all the players from around Ohio, the top 100 seniors to be, and Ohio State asked us to do it at their facility. So we did it at their facility. And this is when the internet was just starting to come out. So we had all the times from, you know, all, all the, we entered all the data online and you know, I was trying to build a website, it was crazy. But we ended up selling some of the, some of the data to some of the colleges, right? Because, uh, you know, yeah. they wanted to see what these kids were about. We had the videos, so we sold the package to them. So, you know, but we both have full-time jobs. He's a state farm agent. I was a pharmaceutical rep and we're trying to do this thing on the side, but to make a long story short, it was a great idea, but we didn't know how to execute and we ran out of money and we basically had to let it go. 
Now it's a multi-million dollar business. It's just, and we were the first ones to start it in Ohio. And, but it's a multi-million dollar business. And, and I, you know, we just didn't know what we didn't know back in the day. So that's something that I look back on, you know, that we pursued that, that failed, but you know, it was, it was, it was a lesson learned. Yeah, I mean, I think about, uh, you know, you bring that up and I was just on a call the other day with my uh, uh, fraternity brother, Brian Spillbeller, uh, who's down in central Indiana in the Indianapolis area. And and he and a good friend of his who had been in high school uh, uh, football coaching for years started a company called Tracking Football. Mm. And that's something you should check out sometime because what you just described 20 years ago is what they're doing now and they're doing so well. I mean, I wish them so well. It's catching a ton of momentum, becoming a freight train of its own, but you're right. It's a big, big business. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and that's just something that, you know, with experience and, and we didn't know anything about raising money. I'm actually, we try to raise some money, but that's another story. But, um, but, you know, there was just, uh, you know, that was something that we were trying to pursue and, and it just didn't work out. I mean, there's been so many, as you know, yeah. you, know, you, you experience more failures than you do successes. And I, you know, I, I failed so many times. I can't remember um, how many times I failed and all the things that I tried to pursue that, that just didn't work out, you know? So uh, on that note, one of your most recent ventures, which is newer uh, in general, tell us about the, uh, the spirits business that you just entered a few years ago. Yeah, so I became an active partner uh, in a new tequila brand. It's relatively new. It's called Cantera Negra, and it's a ultra premium tequila. And, um, you know, I, I launched a tequila probably about eight years ago. I was part of a, a, uh, a startup here in Chicago that launched a premium tequila and was able to get into uh, a lot of the retail stores in Chicago. Um, I walked away from that probably about three, four years ago, but a good friend of mine that I played college football with kept telling me about Cantera Negra tequila. And, and I was like, well, buddy, why don't you just send me a bottle so I can sample it? So he sent me a bottle and I was blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best tequila that I've ever tasted. And so um, I ended up getting involved. Um, and, uh, you know, we're in 22 different states where really blowing up. It's uh, one of the best tequilas out there. You, uh, we have it in Michigan. So if you get a chance, we'll grab a bottle there. Thank you. But, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, my job is really to uh, get the word out and to help grow the brand, not only in Illinois, but around the country. So social media obviously helps out a lot. And, um, you know, just having contacts all over helps out a lot. But it's, it's a brand that I'm excited about it. I think it's going to do very well. That's wonderful. Congratulations on that. Thanks. So I, I know that we're getting really lean on time. You know, I, I, I think one of the biggest reasons that I was inspired to reach out to you and say, hey, DC, are you comfortable uh, having a conversation uh, where we get to share, you know, a, a good part of your story and your journey through life was because, you know, you're, you're living the American dream. I mean, how many of us, you know, are born into this great country aspiring someday to start, lead, 
and and serve a company that's successful that adds value to other people and you don't just have one i mean you have a number of them give me some advice to our younger listeners who are still dreaming those big dreams of, of starting and and leading and building a successful organization yeah you know thank you for that i I think some of the advice that I would say is that you just have to start somewhere. I think uh, a lot of, I, I meet so many people that don't know where to start or don't know how to start. And uh, I just tell them to start somewhere. There's so many people that actually, you know, uh, have big dreams, but they just don't pull the trigger. So number one, just figure out where to start, start somewhere and you can adjust from there. Number two, I would also say do as much research as you can and find someone that could be an expert or a mentor or something like that for you in order to do what you want to do. Um, Ask questions, especially now it's, uh, you have more access to finding people that can help you, whether it's on social media, LinkedIn, you know, um, there's people that you can befriend, but make sure you do it in a way that's sincere and follow up, you know, there's, there's so many people that reach out to me and, you know, a lot of people reach out to me and they go, Hey, can I, can I, uh, can I talk to you about such, such, such thing? And I'm like, yeah, email me at, you know, here and give me a call on this day and blah, blah, blah. And if they don't follow up, then I don't follow up. And so, you know, it's it's about reaching. If you're really sincere, you're going to reach out to me and I'm going to try to do the best I can to, to help you. And, um, you know, if people say hard work gets you where you want to be. Everyone works hard, but you have to learn uh, how to differentiate yourself. That's going to set you up and set you apart from everyone else. Differentiation is the key as far as what you, what your dreams are about. And, you know, so funny is that, uh, you know, me and my wife had had conversations about Loader Diners crew. And, uh, you know, we were at a point where we don't really want to tell too many people because some, someone else might try to duplicate it. Well, they can't really duplicate what we do because we know how to do it better than they do. And, uh, you know, we have the secret sauce, which is us. And we know how to do what, we do better than anybody else. So I'm not afraid of competition because I'm always going to differentiate my business uh, different from, you know, someone else's business. So, well, and, and, and I appreciate you saying that. Uh, wouldn't you agree uh, that you and Elena are really the brand and because you're the brand, you're, you're the, the hub in a wheel full of spokes that's required for that experience to be what it's become. Exactly. You're exactly right. That's a really good point. Branding yourself is key. And right now, like this is your podcast, everyone has a podcast, but you're the brand, right? People are tuning in to listen to manual. Then, you know, not, they're just not tuning in to listen to a podcast. And, you know, um, people read the magazine because the magazine is a reflection of my brand, right? Yes. It's, it's a lifestyle magazine, but you know, it's more of a high-end type of uh, magazine. And, you know, it takes hours to lay out the magazine. 
and it's a reflection of who I want my brand to be. So my brand connects Little Diners Crew, connects with Fet Lifestyle Magazine, connect, you know, uh, connects with Game Time Dine, connects with Cantera Negra. So all those are are connected somehow, but it's it's a consistent brand. So you have to find out, determine what your brand is, and whatever you do, you have to make sure your brand is on point for who you want people to see you as. Yeah, so I, I I love that you made that point, right? Because our mutual friend Israel Adonage, you know, I love Izzy to death, and he's become a very very dear friend of Samantha and I over the last ten years. But you know, his brand, like your brand, the people can connect the dots easily between Fabric, Impact House, Restore, uh, you know, Athletic Comics. I mean, you understand that's Izzy. Right. And I look at you and what you and, and Elena have done very similarly, that it's easy to connect the dots. It really is a very cohesive, uh, uh, easy to understand brand that you've built. Thank you. Tell us where folks who are excited about your story, folks that are excited about one, two or three or all of the things that you've shared today. Where's the simple, uh, what's the simplest way that someone can reach out and get in yeah. touch with you? You can reach me at LinkedIn. Uh, you can, if, if you want to uh, send me a, uh, a direct message at LinkedIn, you can do that. Um, you can also uh, email me uh, at dccrenshaw312 at gmail.com. That's the simplest way to, uh, to reach me. Awesome. So as we wrap up, DC, something that we didn't get to that you'd want to say, hey, here's, here's a last uh, thought or comment as we part. Um, you know, I, 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 with everything that has been going on over the last year as it relates to, um, you know, the, the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement, the election, the insurrection and all those things, you know, you know, 2021 is giving people a, a new perspective and allowing people to kind of recharge. Uh, but, you know, I would just in, in, employ that you know, people continue to or, or try to uh, mend their differences and, um, and you know, reach out to, uh, to, to one another and, you know, try to close this gap on the separation that's been going on for so long because it's just going to help out everyone. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, I, I think... Uh, I think there's just a, uh, a huge gap, a huge rift between, uh, uh, you know, between half of the country. And, um, you know, I think the sooner we can close that, the better everyone else, uh, better off everyone's going to be. Hey, man, I, I really appreciate you saying that and being that authentic about it. I mean, Samantha and I uh, often talk about that and she's excellent at ask, asking excellent questions, you know, truly desiring to understand the person across from her. And uh, I've learned so much from watching her going through her spiritual journey of becoming the best human she can become. And a lot of what you said right there is, is are things that, you know, we aspire uh, to demonstrate as a family as well, to just genuinely, genuinely desire to create the most inclusive and kind and, and just graceful world that people can inhabit together uh your children true and cruise the yes. lyrical geniuses where does that come from come on now you know i was a hip-hop dude 
<laughs> Those yeah, are my favorite videos. <laughs> you know, I was a rapper when I was uh, in seventh grade, man. Seventh, eighth grade. Yeah, you know, when, when Sugar Hill came out, Sugar Hill Gang. Oh, I mean, you know, I was we we were rapping. Uh, we we were just. I had a group, a rap group yeah. called uh, Area Code, and we would rap, you know, before school, after school, at lunchtime, uh, and so uh, and so we, you know, we're we're a hip hop family here. They are incredible, man. I had to make sure that I snuck that in because those are some of my favorite videos to watch, and they are so sharp. They're handsome. They're competitive. You can tell they're brilliant because they drop some rhymes that even my son Atlas is like, dad, there's, they're like my age. I'm like, I know buddy, you got to get into the rap game. You don't have a good mentor in your dad. That's so funny. No, they're, they're, they're good. They're good boys, man. They're, you know how it is. They're rambunctious, but I love them to death. That's awesome. Well, send uh, from my family to your family. We're sending our love. Super thankful for the time with you. DC Crenshaw, publisher, Emmy-nominated executive producer, food and lifestyle, serial entrepreneur, uh, one of my most fun guests, good friends. Man, I'm wishing you the very best in life. And man, I can't wait for the world to open up so I can hop on a 45-minute flight and come say hello in person. Absolutely. Same to you. Same to Samantha, man, and your kids, buddy. Good to All see right. You. Thanks so much, DC. All righty. Cheers. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Our goal is to bring value to as many people as possible with these conversations. And we need your help to grow the podcast. Please leave a rating and review on Apple with your thoughts on the conversations so far. Thanks in advance. And until next time, keep attacking your life with grit and gratitude. You'll be surprised where it'll take you.